We're going to turn our attention to God's Word. I love that we're having a hard time getting y'all to sit down again. You can tell we are hungry to be back with other people again. So if you are new to us, we want to welcome you in Christ's name and let you know uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning. If you need a restroom, there's some down the hallway down this way. There are also rooms uh, for kids who are having a hard time sitting through the service down this way. There are also restrooms downstairs. So uh, we're so glad that you're here among us this morning. Glad for people who are joining in online as well. And we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. If you would find your worship guide, we're going to read together from Amos chapter 5. We're going to read verses 6 through 24, and it is our habit to read out loud together. This is one of the ways that we hide in worship. Anyone in and out? Just a little bit? Okay, maybe I'll use a handheld in just a sec. All right, let's get started. We'll read, and I'll grab another mic. You ready? Three, two, one. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of huge stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, who turn aside the needy and the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards, there will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. You have the day of the Lord. It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters 
and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to start our sermon this morning with a little Sunday morning version of Name That Tune. Uh, And I'm going to sing something, and we'll see if y'all can name what the song is. You ready? So it goes like this. Dun, 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 dig a dun, 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 dig a dun, 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 dun. Okay, some of you got this? Okay, so what we got? We got Ice Ice Baby. Anything else? Under Pressure. Okay, so you're both right. Ice Ice Baby by... Vanilla Ice, right? Yeah. Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie, right? They sing that one together, compilation. So how you answer that may show how old you are. You know, baby boomers tend to know Under Pressure. Gen Xers tend to know uh, Ice Ice Baby. Or if you're younger than that, you're like, I sort of remember my dad maybe playing that song sometime, right? Or you heard it in a department store. Um, but here's the backstory on why we know we answer that two different ways and why they're both right. So Vanilla Ice became a household name in the 90s for that song, Ice Ice Baby. First rap artist to go number one on the charts with that song. But he also became famous for another reason, copyright infringement. Right? He took the bass line from Queen and David Bowie's song, Under Pressure, without acknowledgement or permission or any uh, royalties, and was sued for it by Queen and David Bowie. They settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money, which I assume was not just a little bit, but a lot of money. He had to, um, yeah, and so this sort of became like a big story in the 90s. Um, But this song is the perfect intro for our sermon topic today, Justice. That song makes me think of justice. Now, why, why would I say that? Because we're in a series on the vision of our church. And we've been working through this vision statement that our elders put together, and uh, we we're saying, next 10 years, this is where we're going. And we, we gave you a picture of a tree. If you look in your bulletin, next to the scripture, you'll see a microscopic version of that. We're working on a big one for the lobby. You can actually see. There's one on our website, too. But it, it's, it shows a tree that's got its roots deep into Jesus, right? Deep into him, people transformed by the gospel. And this pictures us as a church. And it shows on the tree three kinds of fruit. Okay, there are three different fruits our elders are praying that grow up out of us over the next 10 years. One is planting churches. The other one is becoming cross-cultural disciples. We've talked about those over the last seven weeks. And today we're going to the last of those three fruits, and it'll take us four weeks, talking about biblical justice. Now, you know, if you are awake in America right now, you know that there is a huge question that's being debated everywhere about this question of what is justice. And there's sort of two parts to it. Like, who's justice? Who gets to say what justice is? And then justice for whom? And, and right now, this is like, if you, if you, you ever, um, so I grew up in East Tennessee, so this is a little bit of a country illustration, right? Uh, this, our, our culture is like in a mud pit wrestling over a greased pig over this question right now. Uh, who's justice? Justice for whom? And it comes out in all kinds of ways. You have to have uh, an informed opinion on racial discrimination and uh, abortion and welfare and health care and the environment and immigration and the definition of marriage and foreign policy 
and poverty rates and economic issues. And this is all that's going on on Twitter and Facebook. This is what people are fighting over. Uh, you, how you answer those questions makes you either a villain or a hero. Or it makes you uh, either somebody who's uh, a warrior or a victim. And, and so the question is like, whose justice is the right one? Now, now for the people of God, let's remember Closed Bible and an open Twitter account is not going to help us very much. Right? We, we, there's so many discussions going on right now, and we really need to hear from the Lord about His definition. And this is why Vanilla Ice is so helpful for us. Right? This is why Vanilla Ice is really helpful. Because, you know, some Christians say we shouldn't even use the word justice anymore because it'll be so misunderstood. It's so misunderstood. But that's like saying we should never play the song Under Pressure anymore. We should never play that song anymore because while lots of groups and parties and platforms have used that word, we want to hear the original. You know, we want to hear what God's version of that sounds like. See, you know, lots of people are sampling this. Lots of people are using this word justice, just like Vanilla Ice used it from Queen and David Bowie. But what does God say? What is, what is he saying? Here's my outline for today. If you take notes, the God of justice, the justice of God, and finally, truth in advertising. Truth in advertising. So let's talk about this. Because uh, we're not taking, trying to take God and graft him onto an ideology. We want to hear from him. We want to hear what he has to say. So the God of justice. Now, I know it is hard for you to probably drop into random Old Testament book. Anybody's favorite book out there is the book of Amos? Probably not, right? Well, this is not one a lot of people know lots about. So Quick context, so you just know, one of these days, I will do a whole sermon series in Amos. I'm looking forward to that. But Amos was a prophet who was from the northern kingdom, and he's prophesying to the people in the southern kingdom. He's actually, uh, it's, it's funny, during that time, they had training centers for prophets. Sounds weird to us. Schools of the prophets. It was like seminary, training for pastors. But he wasn't one of those. He didn't even go to school. He was a shepherd that God raised up to be a prophet to speak his truth. Now, this is around... I don't know, 600 B.C., and there's a divided kingdom, the north and the south, and, and one has been, the northern kingdom has been sent into exile, the second one's about to be sent into exile, and this is, here's this minor prophet, this is part of the end of the little books in the part of the back of your Old Testament, it's minor prophet, but never be confused about minor prophets, minor prophets usually have major messages, and he's got a major message for the people of God, so look at verse 8, Amos starts talking here about what his God is like. And he loves the same things that you love about God. Notice what he says here, verses 8 through 10. He's 8 through 9. He's talking about how he looks up in the sky, he loves looking up in the sky, and he names two of the same constellations that we still use the same words for, Orion and the Pleiades. I mean, that's crazy. Isn't this the Old Testament book still using the same name, seeing the same stars, right? He looks up in the sky. He talks about how God is the one who makes the sun come up and the sun go down. He's, he loves looking at the sunset. He talks about the ocean and the, the vastness of the waters. Now, these are all things that we do on vacation. If you go to the beach, this is the stuff we do. We look at sunsets. We, we love looking at the bigness of the ocean. We love looking at the stars because you, know, you can see more than you can see in Raleigh. Why do we do those things? Why do we love those things? It makes us feel small. Makes us think, man, 
Look how big this world is. Look how big this universe is. Look at the God beyond this. This is why we take the little pics and we say, uh, the, the heavens declare the glory of God in a beautiful sunset. Like, we're like, God is this awesome. And he's introducing him. And he says, this is what God is like. The Lord is his name. And, but then, God, then Amos goes on and say, there's something else about God's character which also makes me feel small. And it's this. Verse 9. God makes destruction flash forth. God is a God of justice. He's introducing him. This is who God is. God is a God of justice. In fact, he is the originator of justice. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that as God's title, God of justice. And he's the original. Everything else is vanilla ice. You know, if you and I have never met, and depending on the context, I may introduce myself to you in different ways. So I meet you at church. I've never met you before. I'm like, hey, I'm Jeff Brad from one of the pastors here. If I happen to meet you out walking around my neighborhood with my wife, and you, have, and you know Susan, or you've had her as a counselor, I may say like, oh yeah, I'm Jeff. I'm Susan's husband. If I'm in Nashville at my parents' house, and one of their neighbors comes by, I'm like, oh, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the sons of Jim and Susan. If I'm at a school event, and uh, I'm, I'm there, and I meet another family, I might say, hey, I'm Jeff. I'm the dad of Clay Ezra Asher. You know, like, one, you know, I, and I'm naming myself depending on the context of all those things, the ways I introduce myself. Now, here's what, here's how God knows is known. Right? We find all these different titles for him in the Bible. Uh, the Lord of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? The Lord of hosts, the Holy One. But we need to know the name that Amos knows for God. This is not one we know very much. We don't talk about the God of justice. It's not a title we're super familiar with. But again, just like I'm introducing myself in different contexts, this is true to God's character. This is who he is. And if we're going to know the song God is singing about justice, we didn't know this part of him as the God of justice. You know, so here's Amos. He's a minor prophet, but he's got this major message. He's coming with a major message. He's connecting two things together that we never connect. He connects the justice of God with the injustice of people. He connects two ideas there. Uh, he's saying, look, I want you to show justice to your neighbors. Verse 7, this is the charge that he brings. They are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Now, God is like bringing uh, charges. He's putting his people on trial. And here's Amos. He's like the prosecuting attorney. And he reads the indictment from God and it only has two words on it. it. has two words on it that were right here in that passage, right there in that verse. And they are, and I'm going to use the, word, the Hebrew words because it's fun to say Hebrew words. They, like, they're so different from American, like English, and it's, it's, it's just it's fun. So the two words are mishpat and sadakah. Okay, so mishpat, can you say that one? Mishpat. Yeah, isn't that fun to say? Mishpat, you know. And then tzadakah, like tsar, okay, T-Z, tzadakah, uh, right? And that just, you feel like, mm, right? Um, those two words regularly are connected in the Bible. They appear together over and over in the Old Testament. And, and here's what they mean. So the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat, and it occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. 
over and over, and its basic meaning is to give people their due. Give people their due. That means like acquitting or punishing a person based on the merits of the case rather than on socioeconomic status or whether you know them, whether they're bribing you or not, right? On the merits of the case, you give people their due. That's mishpat. But it's more than just um, punishing wrongdoing. It's actually doing right. So in Deuteronomy 18, it describes giving the priests their mishpat for their labor, giving them their due, paying them, giving them food, giving them benefits for their labor in the temple, giving them their mishpat, giving something their due. So mishpat, justice, means both negative and positive, giving people their due. Tzadakah, or righteousness, is a little more complex. Righteousness, when we, th- we hear righteousness, we think of like private morality, like sexual celibacy outside of marriage, or we think of things like, you know, uh, righteousness is a person who's doing their Bible study in a coffee shop and taking pictures of it, posting it on the internet, right? right? <laughs> They're righteous in that moment, right? Uh, but righteousness then was more relational. It was me treating Aaron as my neighbor, us having a right relationship with each other and Fritz and Christy, and all of us, the way we relate to one another as a community, it's a fabric that's put together. And the righteousness of a community was the way that those relationships were actually done with one another. So it, you know, it's, the Bible says sadaqah is day to day. It's not just what you do on Sundays, but it's what you do every day in your relationships with the other. So this is who God is, a God of mishpat, justice, a God of sadaqah, righteousness, now, you remember when you were a kid and you, like, you're trying to get one of your siblings to do something? Anybody ever have this? Like, somebody's in the bathroom taking too long, right? And if you say, come on, you've been in there forever, right? Like, that's what kids say. Does your sibling get out of the bathroom for that? Does your sister get out of the bathroom? No, she does not. But there are magic words that you can say that get her out of the bathroom. Anybody know what they are? Dad says. Mom says. Now, why, why are those powerful words? Well, there's some authority behind it, right? Like, uh, mom says, get out of the bathroom. It means it's her bathroom. And she says, get out. You've been in there too long. Dad says, this is his house. It's time for you to get out. Now, now with all the debate going on on, like, what is justice and justice for whom and who gets to say, God gets to say. And this is why. Dad says, he's the originator. Justice comes from him. This is who he is, so he gets to define it. Dad says, and this is what he says. Look, verse 24. I want you to read it. Turn it over. Look look on there. Dad says this. God wants mishpat to roll down like waters. Tzadikah, like an ever-flowing stream. Those are words that Martin Luther King Jr. made famous. You know, God says, because that's who he is. This is what he wants. And this is his problem with his people. You're not like that, right? They are those who turn mishpat into bitterness and cast righteousness, tzadikah, to the ground. So the justice of God, then, what is the justice of God? If that's God of justice, then what's the justice of God? Look at verses 14 and 15. God tells us exactly what his justice is by telling us who's it for and how it needs to be worked out. 
Uh, what is God's justice? Who is God's justice for? In his book uh, on justice, this guy Nicholas Volterstorff coined a great phrase that everybody uses now. All the, the Bible teaches use this. He says, God's justice is for the quartet, that means four, quartet of the vulnerable. And over and over, we see these names put in the Bible, but listed as God's, his heart is for these four groups. But it's best summarized here in Zechariah 7. This is what the Word Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor. Right, right. The widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor. Over and over, those names are listed. Now, now why? why? Why would those be called out for special attention? Because those are people who all had no social power in the community. They didn't have any way of tr- making transactions or buying land or um, like leveraging power in a community. So God says these four groups are really important that you pay attention to these four groups. Now, today, we could add other people to that. Like We might say refugees, migrant farmers, uh, some single parents. There, there's lots of other people, elderly, we could put in that list. But these were four groups that were particularly vulnerable. And God says, I want you to make sure that there is justice for them. In fact, verse 15, he says, establish justice in the gate. Now, that sounds weird to us. Like, you have a gate on your fence at home. Why would God care about your fence having justice? (laughs) But there, that is really different. This was city hall. The gate in ancient Israel in every town had a town gate where all the business is conducted. Go read the book of Ruth. All the transactions and things happen right there at the city gate. That's where the elders of a community would get together. They would listen to a case, and they would make a decision at the gate. It's where business transactions would happen, at the city gate. He says, I want all of your transactions in that place, in your courthouse, to be upright, but especially for the quartet of the vulnerable, especially those um, who looking for righteousness for this group, these four groups, right? And so the mishpat or the tzedakah or both of a community were always evaluated not by like how well their economy's going, or how nice their buildings are, but actually how they treat the people at the bottom. In Israel, that's how, and this is what God's measuring, how you treat the people who are most vulnerable in a society, who, like, if a famine comes, they're the ones who are going to die. If a coronavirus hits, they're the ones who are going to die. Like, that's what God cares about, right? So this is the song that God is singing, and he wants his people to learn to sing the same song. Now, every couple of years in America, we hear some high-profile case, right, of a company that is sued by the federal government for falsehood in advertising, right? And so there's a bunch of these. You remember Volkswagen a couple of years ago uh, promised their diesel cars, they falsely promised their diesel cars were fuel efficient and didn't pollute the environment. Activia Yogurt said, we have special extra bacterias in here. Kellogg's, twice, right? Kellogg said their mini-wheats could make you smarter. Uh, they also said their Rice Krispies could boost your immune system. Um, Red Bull famous, falsely said, and they got sued for this, that it could give you wings. That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> like, really? Did someone really misunderstand that? But okay. Uh, you know, New Balance falsely said that their shoes help the wearers burn more calories. 
Hyundai, Kia over-advertised their car's horsepower. Splenda falsely said they were made, that their product was made from sugar. L'Oreal, I love this one too, falsely claims its skincare products were clinically proven to boost genes. I don't even know what that means, right? Like, who knows what that even means? But people bought that. Uh, Eclipse said that its gum, falsely said this, could kill germs, right? None of those are true. And all of them got sued for false advertising. And see, in Amos 5, God is saying, look, I'm suing my people for false advertising. This is who I am. I am the God of justice. I love justice. But it's not you. This is not what you're like, people. And there are three things that he kind of points out here in this passage. And I know we read a lot of verses. And so you may not have gotten these. We're going to walk through them. But three ways, he's like, you are falsely advertising who I am. Don't you know? Don't you know if you're my people, then I want you to advertise me and my interest in this world. And, and I wonder, and here's my question for us this morning, what would God say of us? Or what are we advertising about the character of our God? So look, first, presumption. Notice what the people of Israel is saying, verses 18 through 20. They're longing for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. Bringing, they're, they're saying, Lord, we wish you'd bring judgment on our neighbors for their sin. We're ready for you to bring, drop the hammer, right? Like, bring it, God. And uh, Amos almost sounds like another rapper in this section. You know, he sounds like Ice Cube. Come on, people. Are, nobody knows Ice Cube, right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. So he sounds like Ice Cube in this passage. Listen to what he says. Woe to you who want the day of the Lord, who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. <laughs> as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall to only have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without any day of brightness? See, the day of the Lord is a day of accounting, a day of judgment. And Amos is holding up this mirror and saying, look, look at the presumption that you have. You're like, I'm good with the Lord. And he's like, I'm not so sure. And so he's not saying, you know, you shouldn't be saying, come Lord Jesus. He's not saying, don't say that. He's saying, say, come Lord Jesus, but have your life reflected in how you live towards your neighbors. He's saying, like, cry out. It's okay to cry out Maranatha, but have your life also advertise that there is a God of justice and how you act toward your neighbor. See, there are two kinds, there are two scopes or dimensions to justice in the Bible. And here's where he connects them, like a train coming together, like two cars, right? He connects day of the Lord with another kind, another scope of God's justice. Day of the Lord is called rectifying justice. God's going to bring retribution, but I'm sorry, that's retributive justice. The other kind is called restorative justice or rectifying justice. God making things right. And he connects these two. There was a movie many years ago called Grand Canyon. In the, in the movie, there's this immigration attorney, and he's driving his high-end, expensive car home from work, and he gets in a traffic jam. And so to get out of the traffic jam, he ends up cutting kind of a back way through some tough neighborhoods and zigzagging through all these back streets. And as he does so, you know what's going to happen. Like the, the music starts kicking up and his car, eventually the streets get darker and more and more deserted. And finally his car stalls out at a stop sign. 
Nothing happening. So he calls the tow truck. And while he's waiting for the tow truck to come, uh, these guys come out from between an alleyway. Uh, there's a gang. He's in their territory, and they start messing with him. They start messing with his car. They start threatening him with bodily injury. And they're just having fun, but it's getting more and more frightening to him. And the tow trucker driver pulls up, and he begins to hook up the car to the tow truck, and the gang's giving him a hard time. And finally, the tow truck driver takes the gang leader aside and says to him these words. He says, he says um, well, I, I completely messed up my thing here. Where am I? Okay, he says this. He says, man, this world isn't supposed to be like this. Maybe you don't know this, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. The tow truck driver captures the second kind of justice. This, that, this ain't the way it's supposed to be kind of justice. See, God's justice is both day of the Lord justice, retribution, retributive justice, but it's also, this ain't the way it's supposed to be, justice, restorative justice. And, and you know, actually, it's funny because we mostly think of God, the, day, the day of the Lord kind. God bringing justice means final judgment, right? But more and more, lots more times in the Bible, God's justice refers to the this ain't the way it's supposed to be kind, the restorative kind, the making things right kind. And he wants his people to reflect that kind in the world. He wants people to reflect that kind in the world. We're going to look at this again next week when we look at Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. Jesus does the same thing. He connects these two things that we've disconnected. We think of them as separate categories, and Jesus connects them too. Uh, second, God also charges them with hypocrisy. Look what he says here in verses 21 through 24. He's like, I am not showing up for worship anymore. I am sleeping in during your worship services. I am not listening to you anymore. And this is what he says. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. The peace offerings of your fat animals, I'm not going to look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, all that melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters. Let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, what does God want? He wants their other six days devotion to him to match their Sunday devotion to him. He wants it all to be the same. And he wants it to be worked out in how you love your neighbor, in showing justice to your neighbor, in the way that you interact with them. You know, he wants truth in advertising. You know, another well-known fiasco in the music world of the 1990s was Millie Vanilli. Anybody remember Millie Vanilli? Ba 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 baby. You know, don't forget my number. You know, like uh, blame it on the rain. Come on. Uh, what, what else? Uh, girl, you know it's true. Good girl. Right, right. Um, see, they become one of the most uh, hot acts, right, in the 1990s. They even won a Grammy that year for Best New Artist until it came out. Remember? They didn't sing any of their songs. Kind of a problem. So they'd show up for concerts, and they would lip sync. And this got busted. And again, like, huge musical news fiasco. And 
See, God is saying to his people, I don't want you to lip sync your devotion to me. I don't want this to be hypocritical. I want it to be real. And the way I know it's real is I want it lived out in your relationships with your neighbors. See, presumption, hypocrisy, and finally indifference. This is verse 10 through 13. This is the final problem that Amos cites in the charges against the people of Israel. Indifference. You don't care. You don't care about the plight of the vulnerable. Um, this is the prophet, verse 10. This is the prophet who's reproving them in the gate. He's, he's saying all these words to them. And they don't like it. They're like, we don't want to hear any more words from you. He's speaking the truth. But he lists the things that are wrong. They're indifference to the poor. He says, you, you've trampled on the poor. You exact taxes of grain from them. You built houses of hewn stone, but you're not going to live in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards. You're not going to drink their wine. For I know how many of your transgressions, how great your sins. And here, remember, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. I was listening to one of the fathers of our denomination. I mean, this is a guy who's had um, just generations of influence. And, and Carl Ellis. And he said, you know, in the Bible, there are really three tributaries. Of, of biblical justice, a restorative justice for neighbor. And he said, these are the three things, the th things we should care about if we're going to be known as God's people. The conceived must live. The conceived must live. That's justice. The living must be cared for. That's justice. The poor and oppressed must be defended. That's justice. All three of those together. Pictures of them coming together like in Pittsburgh, three rivers coming together. You know, there is zero debate today among Christians and churches who love the Bible like we do. Nobody's debating, hey, should we do worship? Not very debatable. Nobody's debating, hey, is prayer important? Or do we think evangelism matters? Or should we give our money? Uh, but, you know, pursuing biblical justice, man, that is hotly debated right now. Social justice, should we do that? Is that tainted with Marxism? Should we be running away from that? You know, I'm going to get into the history next week of why that's such a big deal, starting at the beginning of the 20th century. I'll run you through some of that. But we shouldn't be upset when the rest of the world starts singing Ice Ice Baby, when they start ripping and riffing, you know, what God says about justice. And, and it sounds kind of wrong to us because they don't know the song Under Pressure. You know, we shouldn't be upset because God is a great songwriter. I mean, God is, he's come up with a, a concept in justice that the world is like, I want me some of that. I want some of what God says. They don't even know who wrote it. But, you know, when, when we hear people singing it out of tune or out of place, we shouldn't be upset about that. We just want, we should help people to know this is the God behind this. We should reclaim our song. We should start singing what God is singing because we want people to be hungry for Him. You know, Proverbs 28.5, and I'll close with this. Proverbs 28.5 makes a very bold claim. It says this, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. How does that land with you? Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely? Is that right? Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the word understand justice completely. I mean, that's a bold claim. How could that be true? In what sense 
Can Christians claim we understand justice completely? Well, we know it's not because we're holier or smarter or better than other people. Right? The Bible is really clear. It's not because of our wisdom, our righteousness, or morality that God puts His hand on us and loves us, puts His, His blessing on us. You know, we are not sufficient in anything of ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. That's from 2 Corinthians. But look, we understand justice completely because we are tethered to the one by faith who is our justice. This is why there's no talking about justice without also talking about Jesus, who is our justice. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, second member of the Trinity, lived the life that we couldn't live, should have lived, died the death that I deserve, you deserve to die, and that's God's justice for us as sinners, right? And, and every time I want you to hear this, like how precious to us as, as believers is the fact that God satisfies his justice for us in Jesus. I mean, don't we love Romans 3? Listen to this. Listen to how it uses both words, justice and righteousness. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't we believe that class? Yes, we do, right? Uh, all are justified by his grace as a gift, Right? Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It's Sadaqah. Because in His divine forbearance, He'd passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I mean, such precious words, right? Don't we love this Jesus? How he satisfies God's justice for us. When he, God is, because Jesus has paid all the way on the cross for your sin, right? God it can be called just in sending all that wrath on Jesus. So you and I get mercy and grace, right? We celebrate that. We celebrate, but, but remember, God's justice is not just day of the Lord justice. It's that ain't the way it's supposed to be justice, See, the day of the Lord justice falls on Jesus, and we're glad of that. But if that's all the cross is, we are in a heap of problem because we're declared just, we're declared righteous, and yet we're still broken and bruised by the fall. There's all these ways we're diminished. There are all the ways that we ain't what we're supposed to be, right? And God in His justice is both retributive on Jesus, right, the the right judgment of God falls on him for his sin, but God restores the sinner. He brings righteousness and justice to the lives of people who are so broken. He makes those who are, that ain't the way it's supposed to be, into that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what we love. I mean, isn't this the grace that we talk about all the time? God's justifying, sanctifying, glorifying grace. He's going to make you completely you in ways you never even knew that you were you. I can't wait. I can't wait to know you in that way one day. You know, but those who are, just, who are justified by faith then should be the most passionate about God's restorative, this ain't the way it's supposed to be justice in this world because we know the justifier. See, only the justified can ask for God's justice to come and, and not be hypocritical and not be hypocritical. You know, we can ask for God's justice to fall on the abortion industry and racial inequity and domestic abusers and those who grow rich through taking advantage of other people. See, we can ask for justice out there. We can ask for it out there without any hypocrisy uh, of knowing 
hoping like, oh, God's not going to see my impatience and my pride and my lust and all the ways I sin. See, he set those aside, nailing them to the cross. Don't we believe that? So look, only justified Christians are those who seek social justice without contorting it to keep themselves out of the picture. Like, we're the people who can sing, man, uh, Lord, what we really want, we can, we can be the, the, the song that sings with a full throat and a full heart, under pressure, Lord. We want the original, and we want all of it. We want the world who knows Ice Ice Baby to start singing the original. Let's pray that that happens. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we pray, Lord, this is a part of you we don't know. And Lord, we're sort of meeting you today and shaking hands, and you're introducing yourself in a different context than we know. And it's hard for us to get there. Lord, uh, because of our background in the church, because of our history, because of the way that these two concepts have been separated for us, Lord, this is all new. But we pray, Father, Lord, that you would make us who love the cross and who love the empty tomb and love the God who justifies the unrighteous. Lord, we would pray that you would help us to connect that, to restore to this ain't the way that's supposed to be justice in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would be people who show forth truth in advertising, who are not lip-syncing the lyrics, who are not showing off something that's not real in our lives. Lord, we pray that this would be true in the very depths of our souls. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.